You can't say that's the man with half a billion passwords. Oh, sorry, dude. You know, it's I'm like sorry. he's got this great big butterfly collection and telling him butterflies suck. Smashing security, episode sixty-four. So just a teeny tiny security issue then, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security, episode sixty-four. My name is Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined today by the doyen of data breach disclosure and general internet <laughs> superhero from down under. It's Troy Hunt. Hello, Troy. Well, that was really good until the last bit. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the last few episodes, but he's been doing a lot of really, really bad Australian accents. And I can't even believe you're on the show after hearing those. <laughs> well, yeah, well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any particular Australian phrases which you, you think would improve our accents? Anything we could try out? To, because we no. want to increase our audience down there. No, I, I think you should just go back to sending bad people from your end of the world over to our end of the world. <laughs> you know, that, that worked out very well. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Have you seen where you sent the worst people? What was wrong with you people? I know. Anyway. It was insane, wasn't it? We, we gathered together all our bogans, our dags, our drop kicks. We sent them to us and we sent them to Australia of all places. We should have gone to Australia and left them here. When I say we, we, I am Canadian. So, oh, sorry. Uh, well, you're sort of Canadian. You're on your own on this one. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back after this break. Thanks to Meta Compliance for supporting this episode of Smashing Security. People are the key to minimizing your cybersecurity risk posture, and Meta Compliance makes this easier by providing a single platform for phishing, cybersecurity training, policy, privacy, and incident management. Listeners can get a 10% discount off the high quality cybersecurity e learning catalog by quoting the code SMASHING. Just visit www.metacompliance.com. That's www.metacompliance.com. Rapid7 is sponsoring Smash and Security. Rapid7's Insight IDR has been named a visionary in Gartner's latest Sim Magic Quadrant. It is an intruder analytics solution that gives you the confidence to detect and investigate security incidents faster. You can download a 30-day trial by visiting rapid7.com forward slash Insight IDR. And welcome back. And as always, what we've been doing is looking back over some of the security stories, things which piqued our interest in the world of computer security and online privacy and computers going wrong. And there are various ones which we thought we would bring to your attention. Let's start by talking about phishing. You know, the traditional way that phishing works is that the bad guys trick you into clicking on a link to take you to a website which may appear to be your online bank. The yep. fact is it it looks like a legitimate login page, doesn't it, for your bank, your social media account. But really, it's on a different domain. If you could check out the actual domain it really is on, you'd realise, oh, it's not on Lloyd's Bank. You know, it's on sort of ioids bank instead or <laughs> you know they, they might have used a trick like that or they may have used yeah. some html shenanigans in the email to make you think you were clicking on one thing but you end up on another yeah uh, and so, so that's fundamentally i think how phishing works right but what if the fishers were able to actually create a subdomain of your real site so if you ran a company called example.com at www.example.com. What if they were able to create a subdomain which was login.example.com or accountlogin.example.com or something like that, which that would seem pretty convincing, wouldn't it? If it really was part of example.com. And it would imply and infer that the bad guys 
had managed to breach your organisation in order to create that subdomain. Okay. On Monday, I was approached by a pal, a, a fellow podcaster uh, who participates in the Intego Mac security podcast and also uh, a number of other podcasts, Kirk McElhern, and he's a, a long-standing Apple Mac journalist. So he knows his onions. Mm-hmm. And he also runs a blog called Kirkville.com. And Kirk had received this weird email from Google's webmaster console telling him that Google had found hacked content on his site. And, I mean, Troy, I mean, I think people like you and me who run our own blogs, that would be a nightmare scenario, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's not a good look. But, you know, I was just thinking when I was reading this, it's very similar to uh, Fisher's exploiting the I guess the neutral or positive reputation of an existing website to host content there. You know, the, the number of WordPress blogs out there that have got a phishing uh, page somewhere on the site. And it's, it is leveraging the fact that, he, you know, here you have a domain that's existed for a while. It doesn't have a negative reputation and, and they, uh, they leverage that. And I guess it's the same thing here, grabbing a subdomain. And I, I think that's what, you know, Google often will pick out. It will find a blog or something where the bad guys have managed to inject spam, selling Viagra or something that onto your pages, maybe right, exploiting right. a vulnerability in WordPress or something like that in order to get their messages out there. But in this particular case, like you said, the bad guys had created subdomains for his site, such as latestnews.kirkville.com, which isn't a, a subdomain that he uses. And on those, they'd planted content which would was ripping off the likes of the Huffington Post, and they'd splattered money-making ads all around it as well. And when Kirk contacted hmm. me and said, what should I do about this? My initial thought was, well, someone must have hacked your account and created a subdomain. And I said, you right. need to check out your... Uh, I found out where his uh, website was hosted and the name servers, which were at a company called Namecheap. <laughs> and, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the clues in the name, guys. The clues in the name. Um, not always. But not always. Wow. No, no, no. But you know. Anyway, he he assured me. Um, look, I have a strong, unique password, which I believed, and I've enabled two FA. And when he did actually log in, he could not see the subdomains in his control panel. So Ooh. what on earth had happened? And there was a bit of to and fro, and he contacted Namecheap, and Namecheap support said, Ah. Yes. Well, we've had a little look. It looks like another user added the subdomains to their hosting account, but they've been connected with your domain. What? So, yeah. So, in other words, an unauthorized party was able to create subdomains for someone else's website. Now, okay. So, Namecheap had shitty security. Well, we don't know where the they haven't actually shared very much information as to how on earth this was possible to happen okay but it sounds like his account wasn't actually compromised but it was possible to create subdomains for other people's accounts now in kirk's case it probably isn't that catastrophic right because it's just a blog but imagine if he had been some online site which people logged into this could have been used for phishing instead and that could have caused all manner of problems and highly convincing login pages uh, could have been created so kirk wrote about this on his site saying this has happened and he wanted really to warn other people you know if you get a message from google webmaster console if you've been warned you've got hacked information on your domain then this is something to watch out for so i tweeted out a link to kirk's story right name cheap not very happy uh. and they tweeted a reply to me saying look look we definitely don't want word to spread about this 
and we want to keep you're these... kidding no <laughs> <laughs> and we want to keep <laughs> this, this, this always they, works they, out they, just fine they tweeted back <laughs> when they did shh, shh, hey 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 keep it quiet we and they said we want to keep this under the radar now, on there, Twitter? Yes. This yes. is a DM. This is a direct no, message. No, no, it wasn't a direct message. Ooh. This was just <laughs> from their support team. Hang on. You're going to go on. look for it? Let, 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 me, <laughs> let, let me tweet it to my follower army. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, I mean, their, their point of view was, look, if his account has been some, if this someone has managed to do this to one of our customers, we don't want it happening to other people's. But the thing was, Kirk wasn't saying how it was done. Kirk doesn't know how it was done. I still don't know how the bad guys did it. All he was saying was, this has happened to me. Watch out, chaps. It might have happened to you. Be aware of it. Don't panic if you get one of those hacked messages from Google, uh, which you need to sort out because it, it appears to be a name cheap problem. Hmm. So, um, <laughs> obviously. That was really silly of them to do. but And I think that's what—that's the story we come across so often, isn't it? Anyone can have a vulnerability. Anyone can have a screw-up. And there can be bugs and, you know, daft things like this can happen or bad guys can exploit them. But it's how you handle them, how you respond Absolutely. to them. Yeah, it's so – it's really bad if you handle it by – like, now they, now they look awful. They look awful by trying to hide – who can trust them? Well, we are you still know? waiting – for them to send an email to their customers explaining what's going on. No. They say that they say that they're doing a proper audit of the situation. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday uh, evening, and they haven't contacted the customers yet. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they will have done. What they have said is on Twitter, they've said that the problem only affected, and I'm quoting, a teeny tiny group of users. Oh, scientific. Exactly. <laughs> And they weren't very important. You're probably not familiar with that term, Graham, but it is very scientific. It's it's teeny tiny. (laughs) Yes, very, very scientific. So I don't know if that means one, five, 100, 3%. I don't know how many users they have in total. Well, with Namesheet, I'm sure they've got millions. Well, with a name like that, yeah, why not, right? Um, Now, I I chatted to Kirk about this um, to see what he felt about how this had been handled. Um, I chatted to him earlier today, and, and we can have a little listen to him now. And my initial um, interest in publishing this, and, and I, when I asked you by email what you thought about it, you agreed, is is essentially, so if someone else is in the, in the same position as I am, and they Google this to know what's going on to find an answer. And, you know, as a journalist, I run a blog that I've been running for 20 years. This is the kind of material we write about when we when we encounter a problem like this, and we figure it out. Um, there's always the assumption that, well, if I couldn't find something, that means someone will... It'll take me 20 minutes to write it up, and I'm helping other people. And, of course, Namecheap didn't really like that. I hope we're going to see a proper communication from them to their customers um, who might be affected. And maybe we'll get to the bottom of just how many users were affected by this. Yeah, as of now, I haven't received anything. I would assume that... um I would assume they'll be sending an email to all users that are affected, which should include me, even though I'm the one who brought it to their attention. Yeah. Um, but so. as of okay. now, we're 30 hours later and I haven't heard anything other than their replies on Twitter. What's your feeling about how Namecheap has handled this? I have been thinking of moving my hosting for a while now because I've had performance problems with them in the past. Um, I'm going to accelerate this um, move as soon as I can. Of course, as you know, moving a website takes a lot of time. Um, it's not something you just do at the drop of a hat, but this is really, you know, the last straw with them. So, 
our advice for other companies in this situation um i don't think there's much helpful advice we can give to users running their own sites other than to keep an eye open for these kind of alerts if kirk didn't have uh google search console set up for his site he probably would never have known that this was hmm. going on true true but you know companies have a lot to learn i think about how they respond to incidents and you know be transparent but teeny tiny doesn't really work does it I think they've actually deleted the tweet because I'm going back through your thread because I was curious now and I've found you replying to them. It's not me with the issue. I'm not a customer of yours. I was linking to uh, McKellahan's blog. <laughs> when they realised there wasn't a DM, they were and like, and the bleep, parent, bleep, bleep. yeah, yeah, parent tweet is gone. That's that's. Uh, oh man, okay. don't, don't worry. I've got a screenshot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do too. <laughs> Links in the show notes. <laughs> So, Troy, what have you got for us this week? So, this week, I have been writing about uh, minimum password lengths. And for, for a little bit of context, I put out last year this uh, this massive set of passwords called pwned passwords as part of Have I Been yep. Pwned. And there are about 320 million passwords there, all SHA-1 hashed because some of them do have a bit of PII and stuff in them. And the, the sort of the premise of it was you could take these and then when someone registers, logs in, changes password, you could hash that, compare it to the set and say, hey, if your password is in this 320 million set, it has appeared somewhere in a data breach, probably not a good password. You want to do something else with it. Okay. So you can check your password against the 320 million that you've collected effectively. Tro Troy, I have to say, that's a pretty teeny tiny number of passwords. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. be scientific for a moment. Interesting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's roughly 320 million. But, um, it, you know, the, the, the premise is, I guess, not so much to check your own password, but more if you are running a web application and you want right. to try and encourage your users to use good passwords. The theory is that you should be looking at previous breach corpuses to see if someone's using a password that's appeared publicly before. So I'm doing a V2, which incidentally is now over half a billion. I've just finally wrapped up the, uh, the, the complete set. And as part of that exercise, I wanted to sort of look at uh, could I possibly try and reduce the size of this a little bit by trimming out the stuff that was beneath some sort of certain threshold because websites just shouldn't be allowing that length. And I thought, oh, look, I'll go through a digital exercise. I'll just see what sort of minimum length the world's largest websites have. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I like it. Yeah. So um, actually, I'll put the question to you. Like, what, what, what is the correct minimum length? What do you guys reckon? I don't know. Um, ooh, I know crumbs. what I would say. I would, I would say minimum, I would say 20 characters, but I suspect <laughs> it would be more like 20? 12 or 8. You, you don't like customers, I, do you? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not running retail. It's true. I would think for a website, I mean, I think when I generate a password with my password manager, I mean, obviously try and go for as long as possible, but certainly I, I, I begin to get a bit twitchy if it's less than 12. Um, well, I'd, pr I'd probably want it to be longer than that, though. But you wouldn't be surprised if you saw a site that had eight of them, eight characters. No, but I'd begin to feel a little bit uncomfortable, probably. So, you know, we, we need to be clear that there's a nuance here. And, and the nuance is that there's a difference between when you go to a website and you create a password for yourself and you decide what length it should be versus mm. when you are the creator of the website and you say, what well, yes. what is the minimum threshold we're going right. to allow? And, yes. and to the earlier point about liking users, the, the challenge here is that the shorter we make it, the easier we make it, the shorter we make it, 
people will also fall down to that lowest available level of yeah. security and that will, yeah, that will pose other risks. So uh, I, I often ask this question when I run workshops. I sort of go, okay, well, look, you know, what's the right number? And most people sort of guess it around the, you know, 8, 12 kind of mark. And the interesting thing I found, I looked at 15 of the world's largest websites, is that by far the most common number is six. Wow. Yeah. Which is now, less characters than the word password. You would expect them. <laughs> Very good, Graham. Very um, th- good. Thank you. Or indeed, let it. me in. You know, they... they <laughs> So uh, it, it was kind of curious, actually, because we ended up finding that uh, nine of the 15 sites I looked at uh, allowed six. So Facebook, Reddit, Amazon, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pornhub, eBay, and Imager uh, all allow six. And then there are only four of them which had the, the next highest limit, which was eight. Uh, and we had Google, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Twitch all allowing mm-hmm. eight. Now, that hmm. was sort of the, the, the usual spread. That The couple of outliers here is that uh, Netflix only requires yeah. four. And I, I, can, I can kind of get that in yeah, so far. Yeah, there's not much. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. So, the, well, this is an interesting sort of tangential discussion. So, what, what I was going to say is I, I can kind of get it because you're often entering this on a TV remote. So, yes. from a usability perspective, there's that. The, yep. the tangent there around, I, I think that the path we're about to go down there is it's only your TV, you know, and it's only your movies and things. Yep. But your credit card is there. Ah, see, there's the, there's, there's the yeah, tangent. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Got and you. I actually just linked to someone, uh, linked someone to this in a tweet, and I, I linked back to that uh, story from years ago about Matt Honan's epic hacking, the one where someone yes. basically got the last four digits of his, his credit card from one service, then used that as identity verification into others. <laughs> so, you know, my Netflix uh, password, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I definitely know it's not four characters. It's not the usual sort of 30 or 40 I'd use with a password manager either. I've made mine very simple, actually. My Netflix password is just the last four characters of my credit card. I thought that would be the simplest thing of all to use. <laughs> yeah, we laugh, but I've seen a lot of passwords and, you know, the times yeah. do that. Actually, do you, can you tell us, out of all your 320 million passwords you've collected, half a billion, how, half a billion sorry, how many are under, like, six characters, do you reckon? Uh, 8.7%. Oh, that's a not teeny as much tiny as I man. thought. Yeah. yeah, that's quite small. Well, you know, the, the, so the reason I know this is because this is where I was originally going. I was thinking, can I chop out anything under, under six characters? Because that will then bring the size of this whole thing down. It of will be course. a little more manageable. But when yeah. I found that and it was, it, it was such a small number, I was like, there's mm. really not much point chopping that out. Now, yeah. now you got to remember also is that these passwords come from real data breaches. So that the number under 6% is not so much a representation of, oh, thank God, people don't choose really, really bad passwords. It's going to be more to do with the fact that there are a lot of sites that have a minimum length of six. Yes. So what yeah. I'm going to do when I publish these is I'm going to, uh, I'm going to write this up and I'll, I'll do a little bit of analysis on the distribution of passwords by length as well. And it will just be interesting to see if there's a very heavy distribution towards six and eight character long passwords, yes. because that's the minimum that so many sites require. Yep. I like it. When I, when I read your blog post about this, one of the interesting things I found was that everyone is choosing an even number of characters yeah. uh, as their minimum in their passwords. Rather, there's, there's no one saying it has to be five. <laughs> I know. So this is a funny thing. And I even had a couple of people reply going, the, the number I choose is like nine. And I'm like, okay, why? 
because it feels right. It's like, well, that's, <laughs> this, like, this is the whole thing, right? This is not a scientific decision. And a, a lot of the point of the blog post as well is, is to, to sort of make the observation that passwords these days are becoming a lot more than just, uh, do I have two strings, right? So do I have a username and a password? Mm-hmm. And are the ones in the system the same ones that are provided by the user who comes to log in? So that they're evolving beyond that. And we're really getting to a point now where there are many other mitigating controls uh, with authentication. Uh, you know, that could be everything mm-hmm. from resilience to brute force attacks to confidence levels in user agents and IP addresses to all sorts of other things. Hopefully monitoring my phone password set and making sure the password's not in there. So it's, it's getting much, much more sophisticated and we're moving away from these really simple, basic mathematical criteria, you know, X number of characters long, uppercase, lowercase, you know, all yeah. this kind of rubbish. Yeah. Uh, so fortunately, that is now starting to go away and, and we're getting a bit smarter about them. They still suck, though. <laughs> you can't say that's the man with half a billion passwords. Well, I'm sorry, dude. You know... <laughs> It's I'm like sorry. he's got this great big butterfly no, collection think- and telling him butterflies suck. <laughs> no, it's not the same. I love that you're doing what you do. I hate the fact that we have to use passwords to get access to anything. But I don't have a better solution, so. No, well, and that's, that's the thing, right? Yeah. So that they still suck and nothing is about to change. And every yeah. single time someone pops up and says, yeah. oh, we've got a thing which is going to <laughs> fix the, the problem with passwords and we will never need them again. I, I've, in fact, I wrote something just yesterday on a, on a column I write about precisely this. Every time someone pops up and says they got a thing it's it never happens and it never happens because passwords are something that's so simple that everybody understands them and that's why they live we're gonna be living them for some time to come aren't we living the dream (laughs) (laughs) carol what have you got for us this week um so i'm breaking the rules because i'm allowed surprise and it's not secure related at all. Oh, but oh. it's important technology stuff, and hmm. I think we should all be thinking about it. So that's so what I'm talking about. It. It's kind of like a pick of the week, which you have somehow promoted to the main section of the show. My pick of the week is not security related either. Oh, well, I'm glad you joined us on Smashing Security this week. Now, <laughs> Graham, let me let me start with a question to both of you. So if yes, I yes. gave you both four hours of uninterrupted, unfettered personal time, what would you do with it? Don't be rude because we've had a complaint about we, our. We did have a complaint, yes. But it wasn't with the show rude. I was on, was it? <laughs> no. So don't <laughs> say bees or anything like that. So four hours. <laughs> no, what I'm not doing now. <laughs> <laughs> four hours. You'd play chess, Graham. I, I'd probably play chess or watch a chess video or I'd so do some sort of Doctor Who marathon. I'd, I'd find <laughs> okay, some Troy, help classic <laughs> Doctor Who episodes from 1978 <laughs> to watch. I, I'd, I'd actually do something interesting. Uh, I think I'd, um, <laughs> I'd go to the beach. I'd go out on exactly. the water. You know. Okay, I'm hanging with Troy. I'm hanging with Troy. So the thing is, is after sleep and work and basic life maintenance, by which I mean like eating, bathing, um, you know, making sure your kids are awake and going to where they need to go, you apparently have as an adult about four to six hours of personal time. And this is where, you know, you do your hobbies, you have a hot date, you have family time and all that cool stuff. So, Apparently, this four or six hours that we have, we are spending about 90% of it on our screens. Oh, that's tragic, isn't it? It is kind of tragic, considering that, well, certainly me and most of the people around me spend like maybe 100% of their working life in front of a screen. Yeah. 
I'm not surprised by this, but it does make me feel a bit icky because I know I spend way too much time in front of screens, but I somehow excuse it because I think most other people are doing the same thing, so it must be okay. And also at the moment, Carol, you are crippled in bed with your spinal <laughs> injury. So, I know, yes. You know, as your husband put your monitor pretty much in front of you, there's not much else you can do, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a bit tragic. I'm getting better. I'm getting better, oh, good, slowly, good. slowly. Um, now, why has this happened? So there's been a dramatic increase. So in 2015, only two years, three years ago, it was about 75%. So it's gone up quite a lot in the last few years. And one of the reasons is to do with FOMO or the fear of missing out. <laughs> but some people are saying that algorithms that are designed and implemented by the big internet giants are actually fueling addictive behaviors in us that very much counter our well-being. Mm. So, for example, social psychologist Adam Altler maintains that we are literally addicted to modern technology products. And there was this excellent piece published in The Guardian this weekend uh, about how YouTube's algorithm distorts truth. And it talks about how YouTube cherry picks controversial or sensationalist up next for your autoplay to keep you glued to the screen. Crumbs. So there's this group of Silicon Valley insiders. Now, interestingly, these are all ex-Facebookers, ex-Googlers, who basically now have seen the error of their ways. <laughs> and they have called, their organization is called the Center for Humane Technology or Humane Tech, Doctom. The group is dedicated to raising awareness about the negative effects of social media and technology on society. And it's spearheaded by Tristan Harris. Now, he spent years working at Google as a design ethicist, but has started campaigning against the dangers of these big websites like Facebook and Google. Anyway, so the group this week have announced a partnership with nonprofit media watchdog Common Sense Media to basically talk about tech addiction. And this isn't small potatoes. They got 7 million from Common Sense Media and they got 50 million in free media and airtime from Comcast and DirecTV. So hmm. I'm suspecting a lot of our American friends are going to see these ads. So, oh, hang on a moment. So there are media outlets like Comcast and DirecTV who are funding yeah. a campaign to prevent people from looking at script. Mind you, well, maybe that, their TV, that, they're, they're, yes. missing, they're missing the viewers. <laughs> well, I, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Because the big com- competition to TV stations these days is Interesting. Yeah. Facebook, YouTube, yeah. your smartphone, etc., etc., isn't it? I yeah. do think there really is a case that people are getting addicted to these things. Question really is, right? It's about design ethics. Are the big kids in the block doing what we want them to do? Or have we all become slaves to their offerings for reasons we can't even understand? Humane tech, say Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google are all caught in a zero-sum race for our finite attention. And they need that to make money. Things like Snapchat. I don't use Snapchat, but Snapchat has this feature called Snap Streaks. And basically, it's shows users how many days in a row they've sent a Snapchat picture to their friends, right? So if you miss a day, if you miss it in 24 hours, you lose your streak. Oh, I see. So if you're like a tween, right, right, and your parents force you to go on vacation and you have no, you know, you have no airtime, it's apparently very stressful because you lose your number that you've, you've been working on for so long. There must be people on Fiverr or something like that who you could hire. (laughs) <laughs> to carry on well, posting actually, onto your Snapchat. I saw an article that where kids are actually sharing their uh, Snapchat uh, passwords with five or six of their friends so they can keep it going while they're away. Which, you know, these they, I do have a security keep, angle. <laughs> these people are going to keep Troy Hunt busy for a long, long time, aren't they? <laughs> if they're doing this with their passwords. I was, I was actually literally busy just checking my Twitter. So what was all this about? 
<laughs> That's outrageous. So this is it. You're, you're being a perfect example, Troy. So, you know, we wake up in the morning, as Troy has just done. And for many of us, it's time to catch up on all the things we missed since yesterday. Right? So you're checking mm-hmm. on everything that's happened from the last time you've been on the phone. And it's a slot machine style approach. Mm-hmm. It has this thing called intermittent variable rewards. So every time you check your notifications, you don't know if you're going to have a message, a comment, a share, a follower like. You might. You might have lots. You might have none. And that slot machine kind of mentality, you know, you think, well, okay, so what? Except slot machines are very addictive. They make more money in the States. This is TIL. I learned this today. They make more money in the United States than baseball, movies, and theme parks combined. So there you go. Slot machines. Who knew? So, you know, I find the best fix to all of this is is physical exercise because that's sort of the, the one time where it's actually really hard to, to look at your phone. And, and if you yeah. can do something, it tunes you out for a couple of hours. So, you know, I'll, I'll play tennis or I'll get on the water or do something like that. And, and I, I sort of have a couple of hours where you can't look at it. And, and of course, you come back afterwards, right? And there's a flood of whatever's happened while you've been gone. But yeah, I, I think that more than anything, like that is the way to tune out. And that's good for you in all sorts of other ways too. Absolutely. Because ultimately, it's all about money, right? How much time you spend on the site, snarfling up the content and watching ads lines the internet giant's pockets. So it's basically about taking back control and making sure you use it properly. And it's also for your kids, right? Yes. I mean, Graham, you've got a kid and you've mentioned before that he's online a lot. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he really loves YouTube and things like that. Absolutely. And actually I remember an old video that Troy put out on his YouTube channel where he was introducing, uh, his son, I think, to, uh, a site called code.org, mm-hmm. um, which is basically teaches kids how to program and write little games and things. And it's fantastic. And so what I've tried to do is I've taken my child's interest in technology and things like that and said, look, if you're going to be stuck in front of a screen because it's a rainy day and you want that, let's at least Or you're learn- addicted. Well, or whatever. But let's at least get you programming. And he got yeah. such a thrill out of doing that. Is he still doing it? Uh, we, we haven't done it for a little while. Well, he's back at school at the moment, <laughs> okay, so he's yeah. just exhausted in the yeah. evenings. But half term's coming up and I'm sure we'll be doing it again. Oh, cool. So how do we take back control? Just a few little things. And I know these aren't popular, but everyone who says they do them say it's great and it's worthwhile. I'm trying them. Um, so this is turning off notifications. So anything that interrupts your thoughts or current activity. So in other words, go visit your WhatsApp feed and your Twitter feed when you're ready to do so rather than getting the feed, getting the notifications. Create specific no screen time for the family, mm. like be it Tuesday night or whatever, but really like, you, you know, like you were saying, go out and get some exercise. But you see, I go out for walks a lot and I, well, when I you could did. walk, um, but I do it with headphones, right? I'm always listening to podcasts. So I kind of think I may have to unplug completely. For a bit of the time. Yeah. Set yeah. alarms. People say like no screens rule in the bedroom is some, I've heard people have that rule and turn off autoplay. I think that's a big one. Turning off autoplay can pull you out because you'll notice a lot of these apps, they hide the clock as well. Cause I use my phone obviously as my watch, right? And they'll hide the clock. So sometimes I'll be on a feed, something reading away, reading and I'll think, I wonder what time it is. And it, because it's not the top of the phone, I'll actually go, Oh, I'll look later and carry on snarfling up the feed by autoplay carol do you mean things like netflix where it, it was sort yes of or like you youtube so youtube you have a little toggle where right it kind of you know you play a movie and then it'll just you know or whatever a little video and then it'll just yes. decide for you and who's deciding that so that's the other problem they're deciding that based on the feeds you've the things you've already watched but what if you're watching something like i watch things for research that i may not necessarily be interested in personally i don't need them in my feed I think you make some excellent points here. I, I, I thank I, you very I much, Graham. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh gosh, I hope you're not going to capture that audio and <laughs> use it against me. Um, but I think that 
there is a real addiction problem with this technology and we are teaching our kids to be addicted as well and I, I think in many ways smartphones are the new cigarettes and people do get very twitchy if they haven't checked their feeds for a while or they haven't yep. checked out facebook on who's posting what and we do need to try and be much more disciplined and grown up about this and i think i think i mean i'm putting my hands up as well Yep. I, I say check out humanetech.com. They've got some good information on their site. They're doing good stuff. Tristan Harris has talked sense, and um, I think it's worth some time. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Very interesting. And we'll be right back after this break. This episode of Smashing Security is sponsored in part by Rapid7. Trusted by over 6,700 organizations globally, Rapid7 security solutions harness the critical information essential to protect an organization's best interest. Rapid7's Insight IDR has been named a visionary in Gartner's latest SIM Magic Quadrant. Insight IDR unifies SIM, UBA, and EDR and is an intruder analytics solution that gives you the confidence to detect and investigate security incidents faster. You can download a 30-day trial by visiting rapid7.com forward slash insight IDR. That's rapid7.com forward slash insight IDR. And thanks once again to MetaCompliance for supporting this episode of Smashing Security. People are the key to minimizing your cybersecurity risk posture. You can save 10% as a Smashing Security listener off the high-quality cybersecurity e-learning catalog by going to metacompliance.com and quoting the code SMASHING. That's metacompliance.com, and don't forget the code SMASHING. On with the show. And welcome back. You join us at our favourite part of the show, which we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. <clears throat> Pick of the Week. Thanks, Rob. Oh, so Pick of the Week is that part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app, a website, a podcast, whatever you like. doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. <laughs> and my Pick of the Week is a movie. I think I, I, I checked it out on Netflix a couple of nights ago. And it is called AlphaGo. And you may remember the AlphaGo project. Quite fascinating. And there yes. is a documentary all about it. The movie follows Dr. Demis Hassabis. I hope I said that correctly. He comes uh, from Oxford, actually. Uh, he's one <laughs> of the brains behind DeepMind, which is now a Google company. And his team and he pursued a dream which he had had for over 20 years to build a computer program capable of beating the best in the world at Go. And they took on the world's best player, as you can see in the documentary. His name is Lee C. Dole, and he's a national hero in Korea and one of the greatest Go players who's ever lived. Mm. They have the news conference. Lisa Dole says, you know, I'm going to beat the machine. Obviously, I'm going to beat the machine. 5-0. You know, maybe if I have a bad day, it'll be 4-1. But um, anyway, you can guess what's going to happen. That's right. A professional Go player thrashes the computer. Humanity wins the day. Hooray! Hurrah for humans! We humans. win. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Hang on. That isn't actually what happens. <laughs> I got that slightly wrong. Um, it's actually quite emotional because your heart cries out for this fantastic Go player, Lee Doll, 
who's a national hero and you don't want him to be crushed by the computer in the glare of the country's TV cameras. You wonder how he's he, every day he has to go back to the board and he's becoming more and more of a shadow of himself playing another match and a humiliation on his shoulders. It is a fantastic movie. There are some real surprises in it. And I think there's some things we can learn about artificial intelligence and there's some beautiful moves which are expounded upon in the documentary and there's actually a wired article which i will include in a link in the show notes we can read all about move 37 in <laughs> game number two um, which was very exciting graham it's so weird that that is your pick of the week because only last night i was listening to the latest sam harris podcast which was called ai racing towards the brink and it was a conversation with eliza yudkowski who's a decision right. theorist computer scientist who is all about AI, and he was talking about AlphaGo and exactly this topic. Ah. So it's worth listening. If you're into it, go listen to that podcast. It's quite interesting. And he's an interesting guy. It was interesting. I mean, I, I personally would have preferred a little bit more depth in the documentary, I think, because I, I, was, I kept on thinking, you know, there are some scary things about this which aren't touched upon at all. It's more the, oh, isn't this a tremendous achievement? And clearly it is a tremendous achievement from a programming point of view. Wow, you know, that they've managed to do this. But I think there's deeper stories to tell good now. i'm glad you're finally getting a bit afraid about ai i've only been barking about it for a year what, what you think i haven't been afraid of <laughs> no you're like oh sounds like future stuff crawl go oh, back to 1991 boring. i was terrified of furbies <laughs> <laughs> that's a different issue <laughs> troy what's your pick of the week because i was too busy tweeting and i didn't really think about it in advance so cool <laughs> I realised that it's a special privilege to be able to sit here and have connectivity that actually works across my entire house. And I wanted to talk about what I redid with my network uh, a little while ago. I ripped out all the old crap, which was this sort of consumer grade, the kind of box you get from your ISP kind of router deal. Uh, ripped it all out and uh, I went and bought a bunch of ubiquity stuff and put that in okay. through the whole house. And I, like my house glows at night now, put it this way. I've got so <laughs> many wireless access points. And now what happens is I can go into like this one central administration interface. I can see all the different devices around the house. I can see all the clients that attach to them, where they move around. I can remotely administer them. So I set up my parents and I set up my brother and I re <laughs> remote update stuff via the cloud, which is actually really cool because it actually updates. And and one of the things I, I know I'm getting really excited. We all, he's a son-in-law everyone wants. <laughs> I got really excited about these stupid things that you know. On, on retrospect, they're stupid things. You know, I got excited about the fact that uh, here I have firmware and software which actually updates. Because when I thought back to the other devices I had, it's like, wow, those things never changed. Yeah. And you just know that there's flaws within this stuff. So what I'm doing now is I either remotely update it or I went around to my, my brother's house the other day and I'm, I'm sort of sitting there and I'm on his Wi-Fi and I pull out the mobile app and it's like, yeah, you know, there's a slightly new version of the access point. Uh, yeah, we'll take that update, you know, and we'll, we'll update each one of these and we'll do a rolling update so that it's across your like seven access points in your house. We don't lose them all at once and the kids don't get disconnected from the TV and all this kind of stuff. 
And I just, I just <laughs> love the fact that I hadn't really even thought about it again until today when I was sitting here going, what am I going to talk about? Oh, isn't it nice that my connection actually works? <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, I think that's a very good one. I'm just amazed you have seven access points. You have. This is <laughs> the difference. are a little bit bigger in Australia than they are in England. That's what I was about to say. This is a huge difference between well, like, the UK and Australia, isn't it? They've got all that room. But but this is a nice thing. And, you know, I can see them all here so I can read through it and I can see I've got the front room, the garage, the living room, the lounge, the master bedroom, the study, uh, the barbecue and the jet ski. And everything is on here. <laughs> the as jet ski. The jet the jet yeah, yeah, no, Google it. Seriously, there's a blog post about it. It's a real see, thing. See, you're addicted, Troy. You're addicted. <laughs> Troy's actually recording this right now from the jet ski. That's the thing you have to remember. The quality is amazing. Yeah, very good uh, noise removal techniques on this microphone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I mean, I, I have to do things like webinars. I, I do training remotely now as well. Like if I lose my connectivity. And, and you know, having said this, none of this solves the problem that my outbound internet connection maxes out at less than two megabits a second up. So that still is a problem that even ubiquity can't fix. Is that is that the problem of Australia basically being on the end of a yogurt pot and a piece of string? <laughs> yeah, wow. well, it, it's a little bit like that. I'm Remember in our days at Sophos Crow when we used to make videos and yep. the upload speed from Sophos HQ was so bad, yep. I used to drive home <laughs> to upload them from my home. Yep. We would send you home, yep. Horrendous. And who knows how much they were spending on their internet connectivity, but it was appalling, wasn't it? Mm. Well, I'm finding well, I have to go outside and sit in the sun and enjoy the weather whilst this happens, which is terrible. Oh, oh, stop showing oh. off. It's winter here. <laughs> oh. It's Jeez. always winter here, Carol. Me and my freaking <laughs> jet ski bombing around with my Wi-Fi connection. Carol, <laughs> cheer us up. We don't want to hear about his happiness any longer. <laughs> Tell us what your pick of the week is. My pick of the week. So we know Valentine's Day is fast approaching. Um, and I had a big swanky foodie day at a mission starred restaurant day planned out with my hubby. And because of I had to scrap it all because of my little back snafu. So, what to do, right? You could have given your table to me, by the way. So, I could have gone to your Michelin star restaurant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not but cheap stuff for here, Graham. No, well, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, well. Maybe I'll have it with you. Anyway, look, here, do this instead. Get your apron on, kids, because we're going to make a crepe cake. Because it's easy, and it really is impressive, right? Literally, you just make a ton of crepes, stack them up, <laughs> and between them, put layers of delicious stuff. That's it. Really. And it's good. Everyone loves it. Kids love it. Everyone loves it. So I have crepe recipe inside the uh, show notes. It's a good one. And here's some favorite <laughs> fillings. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. You ready? So we've had Carol's agony corner and now yeah. we're having Carol's It's recipe Valentine's corner. Day. I'm stuck at home feeling sorry for myself. I'm hoping my other half's going to make me a crepe cake. This is how I'm getting the message to him. I hope he <laughs> listens to the show. He, I, well, we're going to find out, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Good question. Good yeah. test. So uh, no one tell him directly, please. So yeah, there you go. So check right. it out. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Great pick of the week. Crepe pick of the week. <laughs> Absolute crepe from Crawl there. Mine's the most delicious of the bunch. Well, well done. And uh, thank you to Troy as well for joining us. If you haven't already checked out Troy's blog at troyhunt.com or his fantastic Have I Been Pwned project, which you should definitely sign up for so you get notification if you're including some of these ghastly data breaches, then please do so. And Troy, where's the best place for people to follow you? I guess it's on Twitter, isn't it? That seems to be where you are. You're there yeah. right now, aren't you? <laughs> At Troy Hunt. <laughs> at Troy Hunt. And if you're going on Twitter, you can also check us out. We're at Smash In Security without a G. Twitter didn't let us have a G. And maybe if you like the show, you might want to rate us on Apple Podcasts. 
It helps new listeners discover the show, which um, keeps us happy. And it entertains Carole as well, if you leave a review. Because at the moment, she's stuck in her bed, <laughs> unable to move. And the only thrill she gets is refreshing iTunes. Graham, you do, you're you very good, because you do send them. Every time there's a new one, you send it to me. And I really love reading them. So <laughs> more long may it continue. <laughs> well, let's hope your back fixes itself soon. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Later. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.